Well, we are, are continuing our series called Pure Joy, where we're looking at the book of Philippians and thinking through uh, what it looks like to have um, deep, sustaining joy in our lives. And one of the reasons why we've been talking about this is because it's really shocking that Philippians is written in the way that it is, that Paul writes with this perspective. And again, in four chapters, 16 times, Paul talks about the concept of joy or rejoicing. And when you think about the situation that he's in, that he's in prison, he doesn't know what's going to happen with his life. In fact, he probably assumes that this might be the end, it's pretty unbelievable that he says over and over and over and over again, I have this joy. I have joy in my heart. I'm going to rejoice. I have this perspective because it's really pretty shocking because life can be difficult sometimes. It can be a burden. There can be hard things that we're all struggling with and going through. And I don't know about you, but there's times when my joy can be taken if the person in front of me in the ATM line is using like three cards you're like, how, how do you even have three ATM cards and what is going on here? Or the person in front of you in line is the one who just is taking a lot of time. It's easy in like the busyness of life to just end up losing the perspective that we need to have. We need to continue to persist and continue to hope in God. And how exactly do you do that? And especially in the passage that we're going to look at this morning, I think we see that Paul is, is struggling. He's not just faking it and pretending like everything's okay, but he has this perspective. I, I'm struggling with the situation, but yet I'm going to persist in joy. So Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 26 uh, says this, I eagerly expect and hope that in no way I will be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress, and there's that word, joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So Paul is brutally honest in the situation. He uses the word torn. He says, I'm torn about my circumstances. Because on one hand, I understand that I want to go this direction, and in some ways I want to do the opposite thing. The Greek word for torn is how we would use it. It's just these two forces that are basically pulling at you. And he says, like, if I'm honest, life here is hard. I'm in prison. It's not easy for me here. It's difficult. I'm facing my death. I'm not going to fake it. Like, this is real. On some level, I just would say, Jesus, take me now, right? I'm, I'm ready. This life is a struggle. This is hard. I'm trying to persist, but it's extremely difficult. So on the one hand, I just want to say, Jesus, let's end this tonight, right? Let's move on. I'm ready to go be with you. But on the other hand, because of who you are, because I've sacrificed for you, because I've been there for you, because I want to be an example of Christ's love. I will continue, and I'll persist. A commentary that I'm reading for this series, the author says this, he said, this is clearly someone under intense mental fatigue. And he's struggling here. Can I continue to go? I might want to go on. I might want to continue. But at the same time, sometimes I just think it would be better for me to just move on. 
And that phrase, mental fatigue, perhaps you don't feel intense mental fatigue all the time. Hopefully you don't. But I would argue that mental fatigue is something that's with us almost all the time. We just have anxiety about stuff. I've mentioned before, and I don't know exactly how they figured this out, but the theory going around today is that kids in in middle school have as much anxiety as psychiatric patients in the 1950s, so not even that long ago. But what is considered like normal levels of anxiety for us was considered shockingly high just 50 years ago. And part of that, I believe, has to do with technology because we're like always in each other's lives and always having this perspective and, oh, did she text me back? Did he text me back? Are we best friends anymore? Like, what's going to happen? You know, we have this, this perspective that's always seemingly around us. And so that trickles down to all different ages. And we think that our world is so much more comfortable and, and, and better, and it's just the, the technology that we have is a blessing. There's a lot of ways that it is, but there's a lot of ways that it makes us feel anxious, right? There's things that we, that we worry about that we never would have worried about. And one of the reasons that I spend a whole lot less time on Facebook and don't really do social media at all is because I remember early on in our marriage, Manny and I would have conversations about something that somebody posted, and I'm just like why are we talking about this? Like, who cares? You know, like, who cares about all this? And at some point, you just have to be able to just unplug and walk away, because like, what's the point of it all? In the mental fatigue that exists, sometimes we bring it upon ourselves. Paul, I think, connects with that. He says, there's going to be times when life is hard, and I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I might die here, and in some ways, that's encouraging, because then I get to go and be with Christ. But I also understand that being here for you ultimately could be worth it. How is it that when we go through these hard times that we aren't just like constantly being blown by the wind and going to to one direction or another? He says that I have this perspective. One of the reasons that I think Paul is able to do this and persist in joy is because he really knows what God is like. We looked last week at Philippians 1.19, where he says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So he is saying right before he starts this, that even though this is a really difficult circumstance, and truthfully I probably would rather not be in it, I know that God's Spirit is with me, that God's presence is with me. And it's because he believes that that I think he's then able to launch into this and say, that no matter what happens, I'm going to trust in God. That if things go horribly for me or if things work out, like I'm going to trust God even with my death because I believe that God is at work even here. And I think it's because Paul understands the very nature that is revealed about God in Scripture that he's able to write this way. The concept of the Trinity isn't necessarily found in the Bible, but early on in Christian history, I think people recognized what was going on in Scripture and we, we... came up with this idea and thought about it. And what I think Paul is tapping into is a bit of that Trinitarian understanding that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit exist in relationship with each other, and it's this self-sacrificing relationship. It's that they're always looking to glorify the other one. That's the way that Scripture reveals about what God is and what God is like. And this morning, I want to talk a little bit and just think about the, the Trinity a little bit, because If you've ever heard about the Trinity and you've walked away somewhat bored, then you haven't really understood the Trinity. And I'm going to try my best to talk about it, not make it in a boring way. Hopefully I'll do it justice. But it's one of those things that human language almost doesn't do it 
justice. It's hard to communicate exactly what this means, but I think it's important that we try to get an understanding of what it means because it's how people like Paul can persist in the face of difficult circumstances. Because he, I believe, understands that because of God's work, because of Jesus's work, the Spirit, the presence of God is now with him in the world. And if that's happening, then what's going to happen? What are you going to do? Kill him? And that was the way the early Christians thought. It must have driven Roman guards crazy because it's like, well, we're going to kill you. And they're like, all right, cool. Then I get to go be with God. They're like, okay, well, then we're not going to kill you. Then they're like, all right, then we'll just preach about Jesus. They're like, what are are you supposed to do with you, right? I don't understand. Generally, people are afraid of this. Generally, people are, are, when we talk about death, they're like cowering in fear. And you guys just don't seem to really care about it. But then if we don't kill you, and I don't know, I guess that's what you guys want, then you're just like, well, I'll just teach you about God. And we're tired of it, right? And they just want to, what are we supposed to do with you guys? And this, I think, is how Paul and the early Christians lived and persisted under great persecution. Because Paul thought, you know what? If I'm shipwrecked, if I'm in jail again, God's going to work through it. And so church in Corinth, church in Philippi, church in Ephesus, all those places that, that I've been, just know that God's work is continuing. And so he says, the reason that I will persist here is because I understand that the story is way more than about me that it's not self-centered, that it's not self-focused, that my understanding and belief in God doesn't even have to do with whatever's happening to me in a given moment. I believe that God is doing a bigger thing than just through me, and God is even going to be able to redeem this. And yeah, it's suffering, and it's hard, it's difficult, and I'm honest with you, sometimes I just would wish this whole thing would end, but Jesus died first. And if God is going to suffer, if God is going to sacrifice, if God is going to pour out love into the world, then I can hang on just a little bit longer on account of you. Because I care so deeply about telling this story. I care so deeply about telling people what God is like. And ultimately for Paul, I believe that God is here even as we struggle, as things are difficult, as things don't look all that successful or all that important. I believe that God is there even in our midst. And this leads to an important question, which I really would want you to to answer this week in some ways. What is God like? Maybe this is you journal about it a little bit and you think of some scriptures that help to, to talk about that concept. But what is your God like? Because there's going to be a moment in your life when you're going to have to answer that question with your actions or with your words. So what is God like? I think many of us, if we're honest, we have an understanding of God that is a little bit misshaped at times. We have the Sistine Chapel, which was done uh, by one of the Ninja Turtles. And um, and the, this picture, I think, is, is, a, is a great picture. It's at the center. If you've ever been to, to Rome, it's, it's fantastic, and it's, it's just beautiful. And what I think this picture illustrates uh, really well is, is the passionate God who is seeking God's people. Um, that If you go back to that one, Simon, don't, don't need to jump ahead quite yet. We'll get there. Um, but 
basically all Adam has to do is just lift a finger, right? It's just like, come on, man. And for 500 years, you've been like, you're so close. Just lift it, right? Just, just go a little bit further. And, and God is, is ferocious in pursuit of Adam and, and seeking Adam. And you can just see on, on his face that he's passionate. He wants to, to connect with Adam. And if we have the full context of this picture, I think this actually is a, a helpful uh, perspective of, of what our God is like. But oftentimes, I think we think of God in the other way. Go ahead and the next slide, Simon. That We just see God as this bearded being in the sky who is up there and static and, and there for us, but just kind of hanging out like one of your grandparents at a family event, you know, just like over there and I mean, we're so glad that they're here, but, you know, like not really actively perhaps engaged. That God is up there and around, but not necessarily the dynamic view of God that I think we get in Scripture. We sing songs, I mean, beautiful songs, like Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. That's a wonderful song. It's a hymn that's been around for a long time, but that's like we are doing all the work, right? Like we're the ones who are leaning and God's just kind of there holding us up when in reality, I would like to think that we are like being held by the everlasting arms, right? That the love of God that continues to to hold us and, and pursue us, but we can think of God as just this static being in the sky and then when we mess up, just like, I told you so, I told you not to do that, right? You know, look at the Bible, I said it in Matthew. You know, I said, I told you, not to do this. There was a, a preacher when I was in uh, Abilene, Texas, who it seems like every message every week was, I know what you're doing. God doesn't like it. Stop doing it, basically. Uh, but it was a Texas accent. It was like, I know what y'all are doing. God doesn't like it. And stop doing it. That was like the message every single week. And in some ways, that's good for college students to kind of think about that, you know, God has desires for our lives and don't just live for the moment, but think about how like, the decisions you're making are going to impact you uh, forever. But just hearing that same message over and over and over and over again, it impacts your view of God. And I think God would sometimes say, yeah, I really wish you didn't make that choice, but I love you. I'm standing with you anyway. Let's move forward. We can move on from this. Who is God? What's your belief about God? Is it this being in the sky that's just waiting to zap us and just anticipating the day when, you know, you're finally going to get your due? Or is your God filled with abundant joy and love? Is it that full picture of the Sistine Chapel where God's reaching passionately for Adam? You believe that God is active. We saying there is a God, he is alive, right? Do you believe that there is a God and that God is alive, that God's presence and spirit is with us? And think for a minute about the very beginning of Scripture. Scripture opens with Adam and Eve in the garden, or with Adam individually, and, and God says, well, you know, the animals didn't really work out, so let's, let's do one better, and here's, here's a, a, a wife, and Adam is blown away and is basically speechless and says, wow, this, this is amazing, and Genesis 2 ends with that they're in perfect relationship with each other, and they're naked, and God's just like, all right, you have one rule, that's a pretty sweet setup, right? And that's like, there's a, there's a lot of good there. You know, they can just, just, you know, go have a good time, you guys. 
Go for it, except for the one rule. You know, you can, you can do, do what you want. Enjoy the, the fruit. Enjoy everything that's here. Just enjoy the world. When I was in high school and my parents would leave for an hour, they would leave a list of things for my brother and I, like, don't do this, and there's like 20 things on each side. My sister was perfect, so she didn't need the list, but my brother and I, we always had like all these things. I was like, you leave for an hour, and they're like, all right, Brian and Brent, like, you cannot do this or this or this or this or this. Um, one of the worst times is I was doing some prank calls, and my mom like drove, drove into the driveway, and then we like all hung up the phone and ran away, and she's like, something weird was happening, right? But yeah, she, I mean, just like you kind of have a list. This is like what you're not supposed to do. For Adam and Eve, God just says, all right, you know, here's, here's one rule. Have fun, you guys. Well, I mean, I'll be around if you guys need me. This is the way that the world begins. Do you believe that God still believes in us, has trust in us, desires good things for us? Do you believe that about God? That ultimately this is God's desire for your life, that things would, would be like sustaining and, and, and fulfilling. And even if you go through some difficult times, you believe that God's active presence is with you? Again, at one time or another, you're going to have to answer the question, what is God like? And I hope that your understanding of that is actually what the Bible says. Because again, the Trinity is like the greatest idea ever invented. And it's not invented. Because it is the best thing that's ever existed. And I, I keep highlighting people who've been through difficult circumstances in recent history, because I, I want to keep helping you to think about this. this isn't just about Paul or about Jesus. These are people who have been helped by this. Last week, we talked about Desmond Tutu, and I showed that picture of him. And even though he's been through, been through jail so many times and went through um, dealing with apartheid and all the stuff that he dealt with, it, like every picture that you look of him, he has this crazy look of joy on his face. And this morning, I want to think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in, in Germany, and he doesn't have a very smiley face in, in this picture, not like Desmond Tutu. But Bonhoeffer was someone who was um, sent to a concentration camp because he was standing up against the Nazis. And eventually he was killed. But in his writings, it's just unbelievable. Like from a concentration camp, which you could argue might be even worse than the prison that Paul was in. He writes with this persistent, unbelievable hope about who God is. As he wrote about how to get through trials, he said this, What is meant is not something that is artificially conjured up or demanded of us, but is a gift freely given. Joy dwells in God and comes from him, possessing the soul, spirit, and body. Once this joy has grasped a person, it grows. It carries him or her away. It throws open closed doors. I love how that ends. That once you understand the joy of God. Doors that were once closed are now open. That once you understand what God is doing, even as he writes this from a concentration camp in a difficult circumstance, he says, I'm going to continue to persist in the hope that God has. And this isn't like a fake joy and I'm just smiling because everything is okay. This is, this is what I believe because of who God is. Bonhoeffer continues and says this, The joy of God has gone through the poverty of the manger and the agony of the cross. That is why it is invincible, irrefutable. It finds in the very midst of distress that God is there. If, there is, if it, is, it is there that joy finds life. 
God has gone through the poverty of the manger, the agony of the cross. That is why it's invincible and irrefutable. It finds in the very midst of distress that God is there. The reason why I want to bring up some of these characters in recent history, and Desmond Tutu is still alive, I believe they continue in the tradition that Paul is expressing. The very life that Jesus lived. That even though your circumstances can be difficult and things aren't always going to be easy, you can find joy. Not because of your circumstances, but because of who God is. Because we know what our God is like. And to help us understand this, I'd like three volunteers. We love, we love volunteering, I know. Anybody? I'm not going to make you do anything crazy. All right, Jamie Corbin. Jamie Corbin Cabin. All right, come on. Grab a chair, Jamie. All right. So uh, we, we're just going to, yeah, right there. Perfect. So we, we're just going to pretend that this is how the, the world typically works. So yeah, go ahead and line up with Jamie back there. And so these three chairs represent the one, one at the front is the CEO position. So, I mean, it's, it's great. You're living life very well monetarily, you've got no worries. You may not, like, have great family relationships, but you've got no worries. Like, you're, you're uh, just, just living life well. The second position is you're, you're just kind of the average person, you know, struggling, struggling to make it, but you're, you're doing all right. Things, things are going to be um, fine. It's just a little bit stressful because there's a lot on your plate. And last is someone who's going to struggle with poverty, um, your whole life. It's going to be difficult for you. You're always going to be um, wondering like, if you're going to have enough to make ends meet. So just show me how the typical world works. What chair are you trying to get into? Just go for it. Just go as fast as you can. Go for it. Go, go for it. Just go, just go for it. Well, I think there'd be more of a fight, right, Cameron? And then, and, and then, yeah, exactly. That, that's exactly how, how this would go. Um, nobody, yeah, thank you. Cam, just chill. He's all right. You know, he's, he's got enough. He's not, he's not going to complain. And yeah, they, even if uh, you have the, the CEO person, you have, generally people don't actually sit in these spots, right? You, you, you generally don't have, it's going to be this constant struggle or yeah, moving the chairs up past the other person. Uh, it's going to be pushing, pushing people over. It's going to be pushing people out of the way. And one of the reasons why I think it's hard for us to believe that God is like this is because our world is this, Right? Our world is this all the time. It's in front of our face, and you see somebody driving around a car that you would really like, or they're able to like afford a vacation home or whatever, and you think, "Man, I wish I was. I wish I was in that seat. I wish I was that one who was like up there. I wish that I was the one who had all of this put together." And so, one of the reasons why I think it's hard for us to believe that God is like this is because this is how it works for us. So go ahead and stand up, put the chairs back to, to where uh, they were. Imagine the, the same, no, same line, same line. Now, um, just, just a different, different set of circumstances. Um, Jamie, you're God. Yeah, sure. Cameron, you're the Holy Spirit. Corbin, you're Jesus. So congratulations. So now, how does that look? 
little trinity, all right? There you go. And so instead of like pushing somebody out of the way or like, you know, trying to get there as quick as possible or jealous of that person, Jamie just set it up exactly like this and said, Corbin, go for it. This is yours. And this, I believe, is why the Trinity is such good news and why we desperately need a better and more dynamic understanding of it. Because Jamie is God. Good job. He said, this is my son, and I'm going to glorify him. When Jesus is baptized, God says in stereo, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm going to glorify my son. And then if we could put the Holy Spirit in the front for a minute, Corbin hop back. When Jesus is gathered with his disciples, and he's explaining. They don't fully understand. I'm going to be leaving soon. You don't really understand all of this. And he says, but actually, there's one that's coming after me that's even greater than me, which even I, to this day, say, well, I wish, Jesus, you were still here because i got some questions for you. But um, <laughs> Jesus says to his disciples gathered in that room, that, yeah, you know, you, you really like being with me, you like relationship, and obviously like the flesh and bone, that's kind of a nice thing, but the one who's coming after me, the Holy Spirit, you, you can't even believe what that's going to be like. And then Jesus dies. Go ahead and go back. Let the Holy Spirit come up to the front. What the Holy Spirit uh, continues to do. Oh, wait. Oh, you're the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's right. Um, so then the Holy Spirit... Come on, come on behind these two, both the Holy Spirit. Um, sorry, it's hard to remember which ones you are. You're so spiritual. Um, so then the Holy Spirit comes into the world, and the Scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit testifies about the work of God and Jesus in the world, that we like, are able to be convicted, that we are able to have our lives changed because of the convicting work of God's Spirit that connects us back to God and Jesus. When we think about what God is like, when we think about the Trinity and what this means for us, it's this active presence in the world that's all about self-sacrificing love. And so for someone like Paul who finds himself in prison, he says, yeah, this is difficult for me. It's hard if I'm honest, but I'm just joining in the way that God runs in the world, that God is going to be lowered. Instead of just fighting for that position, God is going to be lowered. God's Spirit, Jesus, is going to be lowered so that others might live. This church is what God is like. And this is good news. That God is going to continue to sacrifice and show love, and Jesus is going to say, like, I know that you really enjoy being with me, but just wait until you understand what the Holy Spirit is. It's going to be so much better for you. And God says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. This is what the world is like. This is at the center of the world. And this is good news. Do you believe that? Do you trust in that? Trust is one of the hardest things. Psychologists will say that when trust is broken in any relationship, it takes often years and often lots of therapy to rebuild. For children who have had unfortunate circumstances with parents, they may never truly trust again. Trust is is hard. Would you be willing to trust that this is what God is like? 
that God isn't breathing the American air that we breathe, where everybody's trying to push everyone else off to the side, that God is continuing to uphold the Spirit, to, looking to help us to understand who Jesus is, who God is, that this is what the world is like. Will you trust that? Augustine said this very simply and beautifully. Uh, he said, Trust does not begin with human decision. It begins with the very work of God. When we think about God's work through Jesus on the cross, when we think about God's work from the very beginning, when we think about what God is doing, it isn't about just us like deciding to do this. It's about the trust that God can put in all of us. It begins with the very work, the sacrificial love of God. And that love changed the world, and it continues to change the world. If you want to put your faith in this, this loving Father, this imperfect picture up here of these three guys, but they're a, a glimpse. We got to see a glimpse of, of what God is like through our brothers. And I'd love to chat with you about baptism, about what that means for us as, as a church as we connect our lives and as we just say, God, I, I, I trust you. I trust you with my life. The way that we all collectively, though, have joy in difficult circumstances, just as Paul does as he writes from prison, is to understand that this truly is what God is like, and this is what is behind the world. It's the selfless, sacrificial love that we see in God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit continuing to pour out their lives for each other. May we understand that even if things are difficult for us, if our prison walls seem a bit too close, may we understand that we have a bigger story to be part of. And that maybe one day, you will be reunited with God fully. And that'll be awesome. But while you're here through all difficult trials and circumstances, God is with you. And that you can glorify God through your work while you're here. We're going to sing now the song, How Great is Our God. And as we sing that song, I hope you think about the greatness of God being in the action that we see between the Holy Spirit, God, and Jesus. So thank you to our three volunteers for, for doing that. But as we sing, I hope that, that you sing not to a static God that is distant from you, but to a God that is actively present, seeking you out, and sacrificing for all of us. Let's stand and worship.